Welcome back to another episode of Your Queer Story. We're your hosts. I'm the cotton swab you forgot behind the toilet, Paul Hobbs. <laughs> and with me is... And I am Liz. Liz Bean. So you'll have to listen to the podcast to know what that means. We are so happy to finally be officially launched. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast on iTunes. If not, if you could, we would appreciate it if you went there and downloaded our episodes and yes. left us a five-star review and yes. shared it with all your friends. Just because. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do all of this for us, we'd super duper appreciate it. So it just helps us reach our goal to get listed in the new and noteworthy section on iTunes, which would extremely... Be extremely beneficial. Which would be extremely... <laughs> <laughs> I love that you know when I have no idea what I'm talking about yep. because I just stop and I like stare up. My wavelengths are on your wavelengths. <laughs> We're connected. So if you help us out on iTunes, it'll be a big boost for us just because if we make it into that new and noteworthy section, we're going to gain a lot of viewers and we can help a lot of people out. Um, yeah. And educating them and... Maybe even making their pride a little bit better. Who knows? Exactly. Well, I mean, it, it pushes us towards sponsorship, which every podcast wants. And with sponsorship, you have the ability to do more things. You have the ability to give a better podcast and to help more people. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, any help uh, we greatly appreciate. And regardless of how you're listening, we're just glad you're here with us. Yes. And also, again, happy Pride Month. Which we said in our past episodes, but we're in the thick of pride right now, and uh, I would say that I'm all queered out, but that would be a lie. To be honest, I feel a little rejuvenated because pride like recharges my batteries. I feel like every June I have more energy yes. than any other month of the year. It's like, yeah, bitches! It's great. It's a great time. And this is a perfect time to finally talk about some strong lesbian leaders. In our first episodes, we spoke a lot about male homosexuality because most of them, because most of the topics were from early history where lesbians and lesbianist, gee, we're going to just be throwing that one all through here. <laughs> and lesbianist, women as a whole were mostly ignored. Um, we did do a really fun episode on the bisexual transgender activist, Marsha P. Johnson. And we encourage you to listen to that one if you have not already. However, not until you get done with this amazing story. So without further delay, let's jump into the history of the first U.S. lesbian organization and one of the first lesbian groups in the world, the Daughters of Belitis. And there's no better way to start this journey than with a love story. The scene was 1950s America. <laughs> Where laws prohibited the congregating of sex perverts, a term in which homosexuals, cross-dressers, and transgender folk were routinely lumped in. Any bar or club which permitted this activity would have its liquor license revoked and even face permanent closures. Raids on suspected habitats were rampant and violent as Americans engulfed itself in the Lavender Scare, which we'll probably have an episode on. Oh, we're definitely going to have episodes on the <laughs> Lavender Scare. Okay. Getting a little excited over there. I bought a book on the Lavender Scare. You buy a lot of books. I just listen, I just watch YouTube. <laughs> That's why we balance each other Exactly. Out. Unbeknownst to most citizens, this was a government-created fear run by the CIA and the FBI with J. Edgar Hoover at the helm. Decades later, the stories would break of the illegal spying and blatant fabrications the government had formed and perpetuated on peaceful institutions, especially targeting any institute of a minority that could threaten the white, straight, middle-class utopia some leaders were trying to desperately to cling to. So, basically Trump. 
<laughs> exactly. And Trump America. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. So as you can see, history just keeps on repeating itself. Oh, we just never get past it. Every time we're like, we're making real good progress. They come along and they're like, uh, I don't know, guys, but I just feel like I'm kind of being left out of the equation. <laughs> it's like like nobody even cares about the white guy anymore. It's like, uh, I don't I don't even know. I'm pretty sure if I'm a white man and I'm straight, I'm getting discriminated against. And America's not for those other people. If you're not white and straight and a man, this is this is this isn't your country. Wait, Go back to where you came from. I don't from. think that you know about history. But if you knew about history, then you would know that it was the white man that found America. We were the first ones here. And, uh, well, well, the, well, what about all those people that were here before us? I don't think they were here. No, we brought them over here. We brought them over here on uh, the Pinta and the the Mayflower. And, and the, the Spring Bean. That wasn't one of them. <laughs> you know what? I don't think you know your history. I don't think you know your history like I do. <laughs> so, despite the obstacles, the fear, and the propaganda, two women found each other and would fall into a 55-year romance. I didn't really find out that lesbians existed until I met the woman that I spent the rest of my life with, and that was Del Martin. And she came to work in the place in Seattle that I was working. One evening, Del and I and another woman we worked with went off to have a after-work drink. And Del, somewhere along the line, got on the subject of homosexuality. One of us said, how come you know so much about this homosexuality? And she said, because I am one. <laughs> I was startled. But you fell in love with each other. Well, that took about three or four years. We got together in 1953 on Valentine's Day. It was Dell's idea. We'll never forget our anniversary, she said. And uh, we never did. And... Um, we also wanted to meet more lesbians, and we didn't have any luck. We went to the lesbian bars, but uh, we were too shy to go talk to them, and they didn't come around and talk to us. So one time we went to a party where we met another lesbian. So we gave her our phone number, and then very shortly after that, we got a phone call asking us if we would be interested in coming to a meeting with six other women to start an organization, and they were going to call it the Daughters of Belitis because nobody else would know what the name meant. <laughs> so DOB started as a secret social club. Right. But we discovered also that there were a lot of laws that were anti-gay, and there were more things to do than just party. We decided we'd put on a newsletter, the latter. I was the first editor, and I think we got about 100 copies of it. And we mailed it to every lesbian that anybody in the group knew. We had said in the first issue, if you would like to continue to get it, send us a dollar. And it began to grow after that. Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon met in Seattle in 1950, two journalists who were both editors of separate labor journals. It was construction magazines, but I was being <laughs> polite and not forcing them into the stereotype that they put themselves into. <laughs> Lyon says that her first impression of Martin struck her and stuck in her mind because she was the first woman I'd seen ever seen carrying a briefcase. She also had a hard hat on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> hey, uh, the two struck up a friendship with Lyon maintaining that she was straight for the first two years, but eventually giving in and revealing her feelings to Dell. The two shared an intimate night, but no, made no commitments. Lyon left soon to return to San Francisco and continue her career. However, her thoughts remained on Martin. 
The two didn't stay away from each other long, and on Valentine's Day in 1953, they made their commitment to one another official. The first year was hard, though, as it is with a lot of new couples. Lion often joked that they only stayed together because they couldn't decide who would get the cat. How brilliant was it of them to do their anniversary on Valentine's Day? Yes. Like, they were smart. They did that on purpose. I know they did they it They did on, it on uh, purpose, yeah. They did it so that way they wouldn't forget. Yeah. How smart is that? Because then they, n- neither of them can get mad at the other one for forgetting. Like, exactly. So good. One of the biggest problems Phyllis and Dell experienced was loneliness and isolation. While they had a few male gay friends and some family close by, they were constantly frustrated at their lack of, le- of a lesbian circle. With raids and pressure mounting against queer hangouts, it became even harder for the couple to meet others like them. This is when a new friend suggested the two come to a secret meeting which would discuss starting a private lesbian club. Phyllis <laughs> says and her friend... Phyllis says her friend asked her... Why okay. is the word in there? Okay, I'm I'm triping a lot. I have a You're time... Tri- li- <laughs> I'm triping a lot. I do this at the library and I have a time limit on how I can get it done. And I'm flying through <laughs> trying to research and type and pay attention to all Why the people around the me library? at the same time because I like the atmosphere. Phyllis says her friend asked if her and Del would like to join a society of six lesbians and they, would ex- and they both exclaimed, yes, because that would mean they'd each know five more lesbians. Yep, that's it's real though. It's still like that. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, All right. To their delight, the club formed with eight lesbians, four couples, and the group began to discuss locations as well as a name. No one is sure who suggested it, but the name Belides came up. Belides was a fictional character from the poem Songs of Belides, written by 19th century poet Pierre Louise. In his poem, Belides falls in love with and seduces the notorious Sappho, who was a real lesbian in early Greece and an icon in lesbian history. In fact, before the term lesbian, women attracted to other women were referred to as sapphists. Safists. Safists. <laughs> the club knew that any true safist would know the name Belides was a subtle reference to the lesbian community, yet it was certainly obscure enough to throw off the scent of any authorities of anti-gay hounds. For your enjoyment, here is an excerpt from the songs of Belides. I hope you have a fan because you're going to need it. Also, in case you didn't already know, this podcast as a whole is not suitable for work. But this poem certainly... Don't listen to it at work, but, you know... No, no. I want you to read this. You want me to read it? All right. I think the readers would enjoy... It's going to get real hot and sweaty in here, guys. (laughs) I'm buying your shirt. That's right. I want you to go somewhere, relax, unbutton yourself... Not at work, preferably. <laughs> no, go somewhere alone where you cannot be seen, and think. And try to th- try to imagine this as you hear Paul's soothing voice reading you a lesbian poem. <laughs> if you could just imagine a beautiful woman with Paul's voice, it'll be great. It's gonna be great, guys. So, love me not with smiles and flutes of plated flowers, but with your hearts and tears, as I adore you with my bosom and my sobs. When your breasts alternate with mine, when I feel your very life touching my own, when your knees rise up behind me, my panting mouth no longer even knows the weight of yours. By the way, I had to explain to Evan I did not. how your knees could be behind someone else. I thought that the knees were like in her back, and I was like, that's not very comfortable <laughs> or romantic. But then Paul explained that her knees were wrapped around her, which that was seductive. <laughs> <laughs> Clasp. Oh shit, I already fucked up. (laughs) Clasp me as I clasp you. See the lamp has just gone out. We toss about in the night, but I press your moving body and I hear your ceaseless plaint. Moan, moan, moan. 
Oh, woman. Eros drags us now in heavy pain. You'll suffer less upon this bed and bringing forth a child than you'll agonize in bringing forth your love. Panting, I took her hand and pressed it tightly beneath the humid skin of my left breast. Which, that, I'm sorry, that's nasty, it's though. It's dripping with sweat because they've been tossing and yeah, turning. But, but you don't have to say my... Moaning! You don't have to say my humid breast. like <laughs> My humid skin. Like, Ooh. that's nothing about that is sexy. I hope everyone's taking notes for when you're sexting someone, you can sext oh, them that's this. That's a good point. That's a good point. My head tossed here and there, and I moved my lips, but not a word escaped. She's a mute. <laughs> my maddened heart, sudden and hard, beat and beat upon my breasts as a captive satyr. Satyr. <laughs> we rehearsed this and you, you did it again. It's like when we rehearsed Bleedies and you continue to say Bleedies. I specifically went out of my way to be like, make sure you say Bleedies. <laughs> as a captive satyr. 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 <laughs> As a captive satyr would beat about, tied in a goatskin vessel, she said to me, Your heart is troubling you. <laughs> oh, Manasidika. We don't know how to pronounce the name, but oh, we are certain that's not how you do it. It's Manasidika. I answered her, A woman's heart is not seated there. This is but a little bird, a dove which stirs its feeble wings. The heart of a woman is more terrible. It burns like a myrtle berry with a bright red flame and beneath abundant foam. Tis there that I feel bitten by voracious Aphrodite. We are resting our eyes closed. The quietude is great about our bed. Ineffable summer nights. But she, thinking that I sleep, puts her warm hand on my own. Which is really cute. Yes. She murmurs, Belides. <laughs> I had to think about it for a minute. That's why I paused. Are you asleep? My heart pounds, but without answering, I breathe as calmly as a sleeping woman in her dreams. And then she begins to speak. Since you cannot hear me. <laughs> you so you just insist and this is this is this is the character you're going this is with. The character I'm going with. So since you cannot hear me, she says, Ah, how I love you and she repeats my name. Vilides. Vilides. And she strokes me with the tips of trembling fingers. This month is oh, <laughs> I think it's Pride Month. No, no. This mouth is mine and mine alone. Is there another in the world as lovely? Ah, my happiness, my happiness. These naked arms are mine. This neck, this hair, and it goes on and on and on and on. But that's all we're gonna put. It's in the a real, it's a long poem, but it is a great poem. And definitely check it out when we post it, um, or you can look it up now. But you can find the link on our website. Um, and I want to add that I did the research for this poem in the library. As I stated, I do my research in the library, and I did not realize it was such an erotic poem. So I was just there. And there's also erotic pictures above the poem because it's because they, they felt the need to do that. And so, um, and and this is just one part of the poem. Bleedy's actually like it's like a coming of age story, and she has sex with a man like as a young girl, wanting to lose her virginity, and then she goes on a trip, and that's when she has her love affair with another woman. Woman, and it's it's a really great poem but it's it's all about sex and it's real erotic and i was reading it there and i was getting a little hot and bothered because <laughs> i wasn't prepared for this and whoever's sitting next to me dale or whatever was just this guy in like his 60s keeps looking over at me and i, I and then the librarian comes over excuse me sir <laughs> sure i'm pretty sure don't you remember when you signed the agreement that said you won't look at pornography <laughs> on the library Listen, computer this is this is 19th century pornography it doesn't count all right isn't now, it 20 oh wait 
This is 19. This was oh, written so in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, this was oh, written in I the 1800s, which originally it was passed off as an original poem uh, of Sappho, and like um, the writer like tried to pretend that he had found the poem, but then they realized that it was written by um, Pierre Louis. But it's why still, would, it's a good poem. Why wouldn't you take credit for it? I don't why know. Would you be because like, I think actually, he was trying to get more money for it. Like he was trying to like say he oh, had found a it, Greek manuscript, sell it like in a museum or something. Yeah, like exactly. He was, but it, it is a really great poem, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, on October nineteenth, nineteen fifty-five, the daughters of Belides hosted their first meeting in the home of one of the couples. We are going to read off the names of guests, but it is important to know that many of these women went under pseudonyms even long after the LGBTQ movement took off. And this is very important because, um, and when researching this, and which we will name at the end of this um, episode, I read The Different Daughters. That is the best book um, on the history of the Daughters of Belides and really the beginning of the lesbian movement as a whole. And um, most of the names in that book were pseudonyms because they just didn't have like people just didn't give their names this is the 1950s so right? why didn't they give their names um because it's the 1950s and they would be arrested or they would be uh imprisoned they would be fired they would would be divorced they would lose custody of their children i was gonna say a lot of these were probably married women oh yeah who had husbands who had no other opportunity in society to be themselves yeah. the original eight were not married as far as oh, i know okay. they were committed couples but a lot of other women that would come along would be like they would be married or they, at least like they were keeping it very quiet like i said if you had children or, in, or anything you would lose custody if it came out that you were homosexual right. i remember reading um or actually listening because mm-hmm. i don't read <laughs> i remember li- which is why i can't pronounce half the shit that i read um uh, <laughs> they were like oh you know they liked to read I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll come back to that. <laughs> okay, we'll come. <laughs> Hold that thought. All right, so the list of newcomers were Bobby, Tony, Gwen, Elizabeth, Nani, Mary, Dell, and Phil. And that's how it appeared on the list. In this meeting, they agreed to write their two gay affiliates, the Madison Society and One Incorporated. So these were, of course, two male groups. Um, uh, they were the two. The Madison Society was the first openly gay group in America, and One Incorporated was the first um, openly gay um, newsletter in America. Um, a lot of people mistook the do- the DOB, when we say the DOB, we're talking about the Daughters of Belides, as being a direct branch of one of these institutions, but to the surprise of many, including the FBI, who were already spying on the group, the women were perfectly capable of creating their own organization without the help of a man. So, oh, wow, that's a shocker. Yeah, I know, hey, right? that? Women can do things? <laughs> what? What? Revelation. The ladies are out doing it on their own, but how do they do it without... Is there a guy behind it? Do they have a friend who's well, a male? you know what it is? Inverse. They were inverse. They were inverse. Sexually inverse, remember? Yes. So yes. they were women, but since they were... Lesbians, they thought they were. They really to be. thought they were. They actually thought wanted to be men, and so that's why they were able to do it. Exactly. Because it's all about men. But wait, if they could do it because they thought they were men, does that mean they should have been equal to men? <gasps> dun dun dun! Gasp. No, 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 no! This oh, okay. is totally different. I'm wrong. Totally different. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. So the FBI was already spying on them. They, they wait. So at their first meeting, or like slow. It was like after. within the first couple of weeks. Within they, they have. How because, did they get the FBI in on that fast? Uh, they found out about the. They found out about they open. So they end up opening their meetings. You know, like they put some advertisements out. I mean, they didn't even realize. So years later. When it comes out, it was right. I mean, after Watergate, people realize how much 
the FBI, the CIA have been spying on the American public. And so people could start sending in asking for records that were being held on them. And so kind of on a whim, um, Phil and Dell, this is in like the 80s, I think, they sent in and they asked for records. And they had records going back to like within the first few weeks of their meeting of agents coming in, infiltrating their meetings. Wait, pretending to be lesbians? Yes. Yes, well, I'm sure. Oh, that's insane. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They sent people. People think these conspiracy theories are out of (laughs) Some of them are crazy, but some of them But the government, no, most of them on the government probably are true. (laughs) Wow, that's actually, I mean, I did did some research myself, but I didn't even know that they had like secret FBI agents at their meetings. That's yeah, that's it, I know. And and and, it, and that's where they got the information because on the one of the first reports the FBI agent wrote, you know, uh, it's a group of lesbians trying to promote are lesbian activities. I they probably are somewhere. I could try to get them. I don't. Know. But they said the lazier people trying to promote lesbian activity, most likely a branch of the Madison Society. So that's how they knew the lesbians thought that they were, you know, mm-hmm. like an off branch or working with the Madison Society directly. As instrumental as the DOB was, it is important to remember this was still the 1950s and they were not perfect, often being brainwashed or forced to assimilate to their societal standards. And actually, I remember um, they were talking about some of the conversations they would have at meetings, Uh and a lot of the women would just say, well, my therapist thinks I got this way because of this, or my therapist thinks that, you know, I'm a lesbian now because this Mm -hmm. happened. So they were still like just because they're going to these things doesn't mean that they necessarily completely accept who they are yeah it's just a kind of a meeting ground for them to learn and i don't do well yeah i mean because it's almost like it, it was it, it, people didn't know like you're right so a lot of people still didn't feel that they were right they still felt that they were deviants or um what's the word um Oh God, it's not in there. Um, but a lot of people that uh, oh, there's a word that they use a lot during that time. It's similar to deviant, and I don't know, I can't remember I can't it. Remember but um, but the point was that they they were they were different, and there could be something wrong with them. But they were trying to work through it, and not necessarily that they were trying to cure themselves, but they were just trying to work through their issues. It's almost like uh, you know, like a Alcoholics Anonymous right. type thing. They're not like condemning it, but they're also like, what, why, what's wrong with me? You know? And when you're in a society that constantly tells you there's something wrong with you and there's no good information telling you that you're okay, it's really, it's a lot harder to believe you're okay than people think. You know, now we have all these organizations and now we have all this support. And, and we also have the internet now. Where exactly. Google search is just like, hey, there's gay people everywhere. Exactly. You can connect to other people, which we talk about here. I mean, it, like these women are living in San Francisco and they're able to get eight of them together. This right? is a secret underground, like, hey, we found eight mm-hmm. lesbians. Let's get together. We don't know anybody else. Yeah. Maybe we do. Maybe we don't. But like... Like now you can just literally log on to Facebook and like search for like gay support group. <laughs> These people had nothing. Had nothing. They had exactly. to create this from the And they're terrified ground. and they're watching people ne- like left and right get picked up off the streets. Their bars like the entire reason that the DOB formed was because they were tired of the raids in the bars. They wanted right. to go somewhere where they could like quietly meet and have a good time without being afraid of being arrested. Right. So, like, when you're watching people get dragged off to prison left and right, when you're watching them get fired, they're discharged from, like, if they were in the military, they're discharged from the military. This is right after World War II. A lot of these women were in, like, helped in World War II. They, 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 well, they didn't, weren't allowed to fight, but they were overseas running different um, 
departments Mm -hmm. and you know and a lot of them were dishonorably discharged because they had come out as gay and so when you're seeing all this you can't it's not that easy to just be like well i'm here i'm queer and get used to it it's not that easy that that mentality doesn't come easy so while it's easy to cast judgment on some of their rules and stances the truth is their progress in such an oppressive time is what should be remembered the most However, we will discuss some of the issues that caused problems in the beginning. One of the first issues to arise was the dress code. Most of the members believed that masculine clothing could paint the group in a bad light. In fact, a rule was established just a month later that if slacks were worn, they must be woman slacks. This was in response to three... I thought that said bitch. (laughs) This was in response to three butch visitors attending a weekly meeting and striking fear into the hearts of some members. Of course, this mirrored the narrative at the time. The editor of the San Francisco Chronicle wrote in 1957, When ladies young and old wear sloppy slacks or tight pants on Market Street, I wish I had a water pistol and could give each one of them a good squirt. Ladies, please be ladies. (laughs) We couldn't find if the editor was a male or female at the time. However, the stigma still applies. Yeah, I really tried really hard to find the editor because I wanted to know. I mean, either way... It would have been like a dick thing to say because either way you can you can twist it, but it just like it goes to show, pants were like a huge issue for them in the fifties. Like they were really big. Like some women didn't want anyone wearing pants, and that's then they made the rule. Okay, it has to be women's slacks, and it had to be like really clearly women's slacks. Like they were really. What's the difference between women's slacks and men's slacks? Well, I mean, especially in the fifties, there was a difference. Today, there's not as much a difference, but in the fifties, they were very like flowing and, oh, and okay. wide. They were very modest. They like that like the editor says tight pants or or like masculine pants were wrong um but but yeah that was a really big one that would cause a lot of um tension throughout the years and again just shows like so so there was like this is a couple weeks after they've started like three weeks after they've started the the dob and these three butch lesbians show up and it makes the other all the other women feel really uncomfortable and they're like this isn't what we're going for because there's still this idea that we've got to prove to everyone else that we're just like them so they have stigma within their own group even of course yeah yeah Yeah. another issue the dob faced was whether they want it to be a social club or a politically active club the women's rights movement was taking off and the homophile movement was starting to gain traction with more individuals coming out in public a side note: the term "homophile" was originally preferred as the root was. It was originally preferred to the word "homosexual" because the root word "file" is derived from the Greek word for love. And early activists thought it would be better if people related gays to love rather than sex. So, but back to the DOB. The group was slowly growing, and while some women wanted to further the advance to fight for inclusivity, others simply wanted a place to meet where they could enjoy each other's company without fear of being raided or targeted for violence. This issue would continue to divide the members for the next two decades until the group would formally disband. Finally, the biggest issue facing the country at this time did not escape the daughters and its members. Despite the original eight founders varying in their ethnicities, racism still played a large factor as the organization expanded. While the first chapter had few issues with people of color attending their meetings as the DOB grew and more chapters were established around the country, racial prejudice crept into the ranks and discouraged many fellow lesbians from attending the desperately sought meetings. It is sad to remember that simply because one minority group experiences oppression does not exclude them from being just as culpable in delivering that same oppression to another minority group. Throughout LGBTQ history, we see exclusion in varying forms from the exclusion of POC to the exclusion of trans individuals to those who are too butch or too feminine or simply non-conforming to one standard or one side. 
Regardless of these obstacles, the DOB was just getting started and their most influential contribution was yet to come. In 1956, the Daughters of Belitis decided to go public with their group by officially affiliating themselves with the first and largest gay publication in America, One Incorporated. The magazine announced the Daughters of Belitis in an issue along with the DOB's state of purpose. While we won't take the time to read the purpose on this podcast, you can find it posted on our social media pages. It's also very popular. If you Google it, you can find it as well. Um, to give a quick rundown, though, the organization made four statements which covered, one, educating the variant. That's the word that I wanted. And that's a term used for the homosexuals because it was so a whole... So if you're homosexual, you're a variant. It's a variant. It was like a... It was like a, um, a uh, um, man, I am the worst at this. Whenever I have a word and I can't do it, it's an evolution term. It was like, oh, they were like, uh, we're variants. But like, like was it good or bad? They didn't know. Educating the variant. Um, two, educating the public. Three, participating in research. And four, investigating the penal code that was to fight the dec- and decriminalize homosexuality. <laughs> homosexuality. Homosexuality. <laughs> The penal, um, the bug from one brought a surge of interest to the daughters. That summer, Barbara Giddings attended her first DOB meeting in San Francisco. She says of the meeting, There were about a dozen women in the room, and I thought, wow, all these lesbians together in one place. I had never seen anything like it. This shows how isolated the gay community, and particularly, and particularly, particularly, it's hard. That's your one word that I edit out of every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and particularly, the lesbian community really were from each other. So she goes there to this conference. There's 12 whole lesbians. She's <laughs> like, holy cow, it's crazy in here. It's raining women. <laughs> By the way, Barbara would later go on to become very influential in the party and, and the eventual editor of The Ladder. In October of 1956, one year after the group's formation, the DOB published their first edition of The Ladder. The magazine was the first nationally distributed publication of its kind. However, it wasn't the first lesbian newsletter. In 1947, Vice Versa was written and published by Lisa Ben with the subtitle America's Gayest Magazine, distributed only in Los Angeles and often by hand uh, rather than mail. Um, Also, The Ladder. Do you know why it was called The Ladder? I do, but why didn't you tell me? It was called The Ladder because it had a ladder on the front page of the first episode. You're right. That's it. Yeah. That's the whole reason. I actually, had that, <laughs> I actually had that in the script, but now you spoiled it. Oh, great. So, Lisa Ben was a pseudonym, of course, and an acronym for lesbian, which is pretty clever because that's a really good name. It is. It is, right? It's like nobody would know. Lisa Ben, that's why at the beginning I said, Lisa Lisa Bin? I don't know. I was trying to do it. Like, <laughs> it's like, it like in like in high school, when you're the substitute's like, is there a Ben? Ben Dover in here, Ben? You'd be like, Lise Bin? Is there a Lise? A Lisa Bin here in? Uh, you know what? You kids, you work on it and you let me know what you come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so there are actually varying reports on what her actual name was, which is quite interesting. Uh, what we did find is that she is preferred to remain anonymous, so we will keep it that way. Yeah, um, the, so the um, the author of Different Daughters um, tried hard to track her down. There, w- I did find a name, but I'm not going to say it because the author wrote that, you know, she really didn't. She had had her anonymity um, really abused in the past, and so the author didn't give her name, so I figured give her the same respect. I don't, you know, I don't know if she's out now, but I, if the woman doesn't want to be out, she doesn't want to be out. Right. So Vice Versa was a fun little newsletter that instantly became a hit. 
However, the constant pressure of being outed took its toll on Ben, and rumor has it she lost her job and became increasingly paranoid of certain of certain arrest and imprisonment. After just a few short months, she closed down her publication. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it left a lasting impression on the people of L.A. and a hunger in the lesbian community for something of their own. When the Daughters of Belides released their magazine almost 10 years later, the suffering safists were relieved. Suffering safists. While the DOB put plenty of energy in researching a name for their organization... The name of their newsletter, as Paul has already told you, the latter came from the cover on their first edition. Uh, their push. Their f- Whoa. Ah. Okay. Ah. I got to do warm ups before I do this podcast. <laughs> their first your scales. <laughs> their first edition. Uh, their name came from the cover on their first edition. Phyllis Lyon did a lot of the writing for the magazine, originally under a pseudonym, but eventually, actually, just a few months later, she came out in order to encourage other lesbians to do the same. Right by her side, as always, was Dell as the editor of the publication. By 1957, the newsletter had 400 subscribers across the country, letters of support poured in, and one prominent recipient in particular wrote to the magazine, I'm glad as heck that you guys exist. You are obviously serious people, and I feel that women, without wishing to foster any strict separatist notions, homo or hetero, indeed have a need for their own publication and organizations. The ro- hmm? So do you have in here anything about how they grew their subscriber base? I did not. Oh. oh. So, what they did is they first sent the the magazine to 175 women that they thought would be interested. Uh-huh. So they got like a phone book and like just like sent this shit to people. They were like, "This person's probably <laughs> interested." Sure, she's probably gay. Yeah, that's definitely. A and lesbian. then they like, sent it to people they knew, obviously, but like they just sent this magazine everywhere, and then they included something that said, "Hey, if you want to say subscribe, send us a dollar." Mm-hmm. So then, like that, then the people who got it would like share the book, and then they would just like send in their address and their dollar. Yeah. And a lot of people um, even wrote to them and said, you know, I can't have this in my house, but I'm really happy that you exist. Yeah. So um, they really just organically grew their subscription based for a dollar. Yeah, I did. I did hear that about like, um, and even Lisa Ben would have that same problem where she would try to give someone a newsletter and they would like they would stand and read it but they would give it back to her because they couldn't yeah. have it on their possession and the same thing like people couldn't have it around them and the same reason why people would come to a meeting and but then they wouldn't like right. they wouldn't stick around but the fact that they could just like just sent this thing to 175 women and then just continue to grow and grow and grow without like I don't know and I've done a lot of online things and it's really hard to grow anything and the fact that they did it completely yeah. organically they didn't have like facebook marketing or anything mm-hmm. like that that's that's incredible well there was there was the market for it too there was no other way like you right. didn't have any other way to keep in touch with the lesbian community you that's know true, yeah. barely had a way to keep in touch with anybody in the homosexual community um so the writer of that letter that we uh, just read was lorraine hansberry who, uh, if you know your Broadway theater, she would later become the first African-American woman and one of the youngest playwrights in history to have a, bro- a, um, a production produced on a production, a, a play produced on Broadway. She would go on to produce the award-winning A Raisin in the Sun. So, um, so yes, Lorraine Hansberry. She's very big in theater, very powerful woman. So as the magazine grew, so did the DOB and the lesbian movement as a whole. 
1960, the first national lesbian convention was held in San Francisco with 200 female attendees, and they all showed up in their flannel. <laughs> it was just a sea of flannel everywhere, and whatever that 70s butch haircut was, where it's like the mullet, where it's like half oh. long and half... Well, this is the 60s. I guess maybe not. <laughs> so... Uh, Another visitor were the San Francisco police, always putting the taxpayers' money hard at work as they locked, as they looked for women in men's clothing. Well, they found all those flannels. They fucked up. <laughs> and of and of course, public outcry increased as politicians and pastors warned over the warned of the new evil of lesbians. Right, and I mean, just like you can read that in a second, but like it's of course lesbians have always been around, but. It was, you know, and there was so much focus on the male homosexual and, of course, that that belief that there's no such thing as a real lesbian. She just hasn't found the right man. And so, but now there's this group of women that are coming forward and they're like, nope, really, we just like women. We don't want to be with anyone else. We've tried it. We, or we did, haven't tried it. Honestly, we don't care. This is who we are. And we're, you know, we're yeah. not going to fit in your box. No. You parents of daughters, one politician screamed into a mic. Do not sit back complacently feeling that because you have no boys in your family, everything is all right. To enlighten you as to the existence of a lesbian organization composed of homosexual women, make yourself acquainted with the name Daughters of Belides. Dun, dun, dun. However, the more the ag agitators spoke out against the DOB, the more attention they drew to the group and the more their numbers swelled. In cities all around the country, even in and even the most unlikely places, chapters were springing up. So this is a common common thing like yeah all these big people are speaking out about this <laughs> and they're like and then all the people are hearing about it and they're like wait what yeah exactly. there's a group i can join <laughs> you're sitting in there and you're like huh it's like like me like growing up in the fundamentalist cult the more they preached about gay people you know the more i was like huh is that that's like a thing they could do they did treat treat ugh, they did preach about trans people but that there wasn't much but there was a lot about the gay community it's like you preach against these things like half the things that i didn't i remember like like not even knowing that masturbation was a thing and then they preach against it and you're like what 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 was that again that you could what's that thing that you can do so <laughs> you're just like feeding information every time you get up and you preach about something and they don't <laughs> get it they don't get it. They don't get it. They just they they're the biggest promoters of sin they ever. They really are. Because <laughs> all these people who they've brainwashed into thinking stuff doesn't exist, and they're like this gay support group, and you're like, what? what? This gay support group over on First Street. Now let me tell you something. I don't want any of you going over to the, to First Street to the gay support group. And they that's meet there from nine to, to 10. ten every Wednesday. They're there. Doors open to anyone, the public, anybody. You can walk in if you wanted. Can they you have the Giorno that? pizza. <laughs> it's like it's like this. Thanks for the. Free advertisement every freaking Sunday. <laughs> Pastor Joe's getting up there advertising for the LGBTQ Center. So thanks, Pastor <laughs> Joe. We we really appreciate your help. Unfortunately, the old arguments of how much the group should get politically involved sprang up again and again, causing deeper rifts. By the 1960s, the civil rights and feminist movements were in full swing, and younger lesbians weren't interested in outdated dress codes and racial exclusions or lack of political involvement. So this is like, this is the feminist movement is going on, and this is the 60s. This is the civil rights era, you know, like everybody's involved in something, and the daughters of Belides are still trying to, you know, be like, this is just a social club. We don't need to get involved. In 1963, Barbara Giddings, who we mentioned earlier, took over the ladder and brought a new political charge to the magazine. 
For the first time, the cover was replaced with pictures of real lesbian models, and eventually the models even gave consent to be named. Queer women were no longer willing to sit silently to the side and assimilate to society's outdated and sexist requirements. It was also during this time that the DOB would begin to receive an anonymous $3,000 monthly donation from a contributor known only as Pennsylvania. She would write a check to a different daughter each time it is estimated that she donated $100,000 over the course of the next few years. They, we don't know who Pennsylvania was. She stopped through town one day. She met a few of the daughters. And when she left, she came, She sent a check. And every month after that, for the next few years, she would send a check of $3,000. That's incredible. Yep. So despite their best efforts, the members of the DOB could not come to an agreement of whether to be involved in politics or even which organizations to endorse. As tension in the organization continued to intensify, the DOB finally disbanded in 1970. The president at the time, Rita Laporte, took the latter's mailing list without knowledge or approval and continued to publish the magazines for another two years. Can we talk about this woman? Rita Laporte. You're so, so bitter she, at her. Because she, she ruined everything. She did. There was a, this was like, yeah, we like really wrapped up the ending here. But yeah, Rita Lepore uh, and a couple women, but especially Rita caused a lot of division. So imagine you have this great thing that's been built up. You have this mailing list. Okay, you guys closed. You know what? Maybe you'll pick back up in a few years. Maybe something will come of this. It was just a, yeah, this was just an organization, like the social club as a whole, like not the social, but the organization was closing, but the, the latter was still. Right. Yeah. So this woman just takes the thing and she's like, fuck all of you. I've got the best ideas. I'm just going to steal this mm-hmm. and I'm going to move across the fucking country <laughs> and do with my her, own thing. With her new with, lesbian lover. With the list that everybody else has built up over these years. But you know what? I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to do this. It was really selfish because she was, she was just like, no, no, you guys don't know what's best. I know what's best. And I'm just going to... Yeah, she did. She, she stole the list. But without the monthly donation from Pennsylvania, because Pennsylvania, as soon as everything closed down, was like, nope. Uh, Rita and her co-conspirator, Barbara Greer, soon ran out of money and the magazine officially folded. Because guess what? She fucked everything up. Way to go, Rita. Yep. Regardless of its flaws and dramatic demise, the Daughters of Belides and their infamous publication, The Ladder, were game changers for the lesbian movement and set a precedent for many LGBTQ organizations to follow. And back to that love story about Phyllis and Dell. On June 16, 2008, Phyllis Lyon and Dell Martin became the first same-sex couple to legally be married in San Francisco. They had been together for 55 years. A few months later, Dell passed away at age 87 with Phyllis right by her side, as always. And you can actually watch this marriage on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and, on, and that one's definitely getting posted. It is so yeah. cute because the, the person who's marrying them, what's that person called? The officiator or something? <laughs> the marriage guy? <laughs> That's the name. That's the official name. So the, the marriage, marriage guy <laughs> is like... Oh, this is all, and he, it was all, you know, fun and joking. Nobody was like being serious, but he's like, oh, you know, this is a lifelong commitment, right? (laughs) And and the look on, I think it was Phyllis. She was so cute. She just gave him this look like, bro, do you know who we are? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) We're motherfucking Phyllis and Dell. Seriously. So Marsha M. Gallo, the historian and author of Different Daughters, A History of the Daughters of Belides and the Rise of the, of the Lesbian, right? Oh. <laughs> the Rise of the Lesbian. Okay. <laughs> so A History of the Daughters of Belides and the Rise of the Lesbian Rights Movement, the resource for most of this podcast, wrote about the latter. 
For women who came across a copy in the early days, the latter was a lifeline. It, it was a means of expressing and sharing otherwise private thoughts and feelings, of connecting across miles and disparate daily lives, of breaking through isolation and fear. A lot of people actually mentioned, because I watched some interviews of the women who were actually mm-hmm. part of this group, Yeah, they literally said, like, this was a lifeline. Yeah. If it wasn't for this, I don't know if I would have been here today. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. That's why, you know, we talk about, like, them just sending it out. It's amazing that they got so much response, but it was all you had. Like... It's like when we were in Indiana and we didn't know anyone and we would go to that one shitty gay bar occasionally. <laughs> we don't want to trash it because we are grateful for it, but it's still like, uh, or that one organization that we had that had like nothing going on. Oh my God. Oh my so, God. The organization who was so big into Pride, but they didn't do anything. Exactly. There was nothing. Well, they couldn't get anything started. They tried to do a few things, but they couldn't. But it was like you just connected and, and clung to any person and anything that you could because you were so starved for something that for, connected you to For your normal. You were yeah, exactly. For your normal. For your and that's why when you would go to, to Pride in Chicago once a year, it was uh-huh. like the gates of heaven had opened and it was like the most amazing feeling in the world. Yep. Now we're Pride just surrounded by homos all the time. I'm I'm so over it. <laughs> <They're> everywhere. <laughs> if you ever need a good a gay community, literally like every uh, other house is gay. In Rhode know? Island, yeah, every yeah, it's all they're all gay, trans, LGBTQ out here. Oh, so when we got our new phones this week, mm-hmm. our the guy who helped us at Verizon was gay. Mm-hmm. And it was so refreshing. It was like the best customer service experience. I was like, I was like, is this what it's like when straight men go to like get services and yeah. like the person they're getting helped by is like, you watched the Mets game last night? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, is that what it's like? Like, what it was, was he doing talking to you about like Ru- RuPaul or something? Yeah, we were oh, talking about RuPaul. Yeah. We were talking about Pride. It was great. It was well, it was amazing. Well, that's why when and Samantha and I went looking for our our apartment a few years ago like the guy that showed us the apartment was gay and it was just like you automatically felt comfortable being, not having to pretend yeah. like this is my friend with me <laughs> <laughs> so that's all we have time for today as our recommended resource we are of course promoting Different Daughters by Marsha M. Gallo. That's G-A-L-L-O. Also, we're encouraging you to read the full Songs of the Ladies. That's the poem by Pierre Luis, which you can find online. And like we said, we'll post a um, uh, a link to that. I can't uh, encourage it enough. It's, it is on sacredtext.com if you just can't wait to find the link. Or you can Google it. Um, it really is a very beautiful poem. And again, it is not suitable for work, so please... Don't pull it up at work. Because then you can't claim homophobia if you get fired for looking at like <laughs> Because, it, first of all, it's very, it's everybody, everybody. There's there's men and women and women and women and just all kinds of sex. <laughs> <laughs> also, make sure you check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Your Queer Story. Our website is live at yourqueerstory.com. We are available on iTunes. Poof. Am I supposed to like jump in no, here? I okay. <laughs> I, I literally remember. wrote it out for you. I can't think of what the other one that we just got on. Tune in. Yeah. So we're available on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play. We're working on Stitcher. We're working on Spotify. And if you can, please listen to us on iTunes because it would be a huge help as we stated in the beginning. But as long as you're listening, we really appreciate it. Exactly. We really do. And also, if you have listened to our first few episodes, I just want you to know that I will be dropping a corrections post on our social media for some little things, nothing serious, but just so, you know, little corrections that we have. Um, and if you found corrections, feel free to let us know. Because Evan makes a lot of mistakes. <laughs> uh, also, please rate us. It really helps. And share yes. it with anybody who you think would be interested in, 
and listening. So stay queer. And don't get a lobotomy, you beautiful safest.